Hello, my name is Ben Hyten, this is The Ornithology Presents, and this is just something I've decided to do. Tis of course October 2022, if you're listening to this in the future, which means it's the month of Halloween, and much like Christmas, Halloween gets longer every year. I started Halloween this year in September. Uh, and I don't celebrate Christmas anymore, so I think that's fair. By that, I just mean I started watching a bunch of horror films. I did, uh, I went into a, a local DVD read. It was HMV. I don't know why I was trying to pretend uh, that I couldn't say the name of it. And I, I, you know, every now and then I like picking up a box set. Years ago, I picked up the Exorcist box set because I'd only ever seen the first Exorcist film. And I watched all four, plus a different cut of the fourth one in the space of a weekend. And what I'll say about that is that is a series you should watch in reverse order because then it just gets better as it goes on. That's not fair. Exorcist 3 is much better than Exorcist 2. Anyway, a couple of years after that, I did all the Chucky films, all seven. Seven Chucky films. Uh, and I'd say five of them are pretty good. So that was I really enjoyed that. Uh, a couple of years ago, I did all of the Nightmare on Elm Street films because I'd only seen a couple of those. That pretty much lives up to the law of Mission. Yeah, that one. You know the law of Mishibishi? The law of diminishing returns. Except Wes Craven's New Nightmare is better than the last couple of films before that. Anyway, this year, while I was having a little look around HMV, I picked up a box set for a series of films that I remember seeing the video covers for when I was a child in the 80s. And they were far too high for me to reach. And they were 18 certificate. And they looked scary as hell. And this was at a time when I really believed that there actually were horror films out there that would warp your brain. And I don't... Certainly not in the 80s. I don't think it's true that there were that very... That there were very many. But, you know, it was the video nasty era. era. Uh, and I decided, anyway, to treat myself to this box set of films that I thought would be so fucking scary. This was the House box set, not the Japanese film Hausu. This is uh, House by Steve Miner. And do you know what? Those films are not very scary, so I'm not bothered particularly talking about them. For anyone interested, I thought the first three were all pretty much of a muchness in terms of quality, and the fourth one was bad. I actually enjoyed the third one the most, because it had Lance Henriksen and Brian James... You know, as a cop and a serial killer, respectively, uh, chasing each other down. And there were some cool gags. It has absolutely nothing to do with the House series. I don't know how they got away with calling it House 3. So make of that what you will. So after the slightly disappointing, you know, 30-odd years later catch-up with the House series, I went back to HMV. Well, once but on... Yeah, it's true. And they say... In English, once bitten, twice shy. Not me. Twice bitten, never shy. Always go back for more. Seven times bitten. More. I picked up the Friday the 13th box set, which is the first eight films. Stay with me on this. And then I also then ordered a European double DVD Blu-ray of Jason Goes to Hell and... Jason X, which were done by New Line Cinema, uh, which is why they're not in the same box set. And then I thought, well, I've got to come this far. So I picked up Freddy vs. Jason and the 2009 Friday the 13th remake by Marcus Nispel as well. So I'm just going to give you a little rundown of my experience with the Friday the 13th films in case it's something that you feel you might also want to indulge in in the run-up to Halloween. Obviously, it would make more sense to watch the Halloween films, but I didn't do that. I watched the Friday the 13th films. And before I get started on this, I'll tell you which ones I had seen before. I can tell you the first Friday the 13th film I ever saw was actually part six, which is also called Jason Lives. I saw that on TV in the 90s, and I would say I was about 13 or 14, and it was on very late night. Uh, on BBC One. I think I may have seen some of Jason Takes Manhattan, which is number eight, uh, around the same time as well. They they did play them for for a while on Friday the 13th um, throughout the year. 
So I had seen that. I'd obviously seen bits of the original Friday the 13th, especially around the ending, because it's, if you watch YouTube, you know, what culture and things like that, it's impossible to avoid. And I think I had legitimately seen the last 20 minutes of the original Friday the 13th anyway. Likewise, I think I'd seen the first 20 minutes of Friday the 13th Part 2. So perhaps they were on a, in a, like a double bill on Sky or something. And I just tuned in at one point. Don't think I had seen any of the other... Oh, yes, I had. Friday the 13th, the final chapter. I, that's number four. That's the one with... Uh, well, I'll tell you more about it in a minute. I saw that in a, an all-night movie marathon... Uh, in Newcastle about four or five years ago, sandwiched between Brian Usner's Society, which is a very messed up horror film from the 80s, which was fantastic seeing it with a crowd of whom I would say at least a third, maybe half, had never seen it. So if you've seen Society, you can imagine how much fun that was. I think a few people walked out, actually, and didn't bother sticking around for the other two films. Anyway, then Friday the 13th Part 4 was on, and then they've rounded out the night with It Follows, which is one of my all-time favourite horror films. So that was a great night. Uh, I had also seen Freddy vs. Jason and Jason X before as well, and at least the first half of the Friday the 13th remake. So I watched... That is 12 films. Yeah, believe that. And I watched them in release order... Is that chronological order? Well, maybe not. I watched all 12 films over the space of about two and a half weeks. I was doing two a day sometimes, uh, and it was really enjoyable. So here's my rundown in re- in reverse order of the 12 Friday the 13th films. This is a ranking. Strap in. At 12. At 12. Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, a.k.a. Friday the 13th. Part 9. This was the first one that New Line did, and it was about four years after Jason Takes Manhattan, so there'd been a wee break there. Uh, And the franchise changed hands. And they basically tried to rewrite everything about Jason. For those that don't know, right, um, there may be some spoilers here for Friday the 13th Part 1, but frankly, they, they, they have been spoiled by everyone that's ever talked about these films. A bunch of campers... No, that's not true. A bunch of teen summer camp counsellors. Yeah. So they're technically, legally adults, which means they can take their tops off, but they are still teenagers. They go to Camp Crystal Lake, which is a summer camp at Crystal Lake. You with me so far? And... They start getting murdered. What the hell? Towards the end of the film, it becomes clear that the mother of a boy who drowned there many, many years ago, that boy was called Jason Voorhees. See where I'm going with this? The mother is exacting revenge on all of the counsellors that work at Camp Crystal Lake because when her boy was young... The counsellors weren't paying attention. You know, they were smoking weed and drinking beer and chasing tail and all the things that teenage counsellors do. They weren't paying attention when Jason went into Crystal Lake and he drowned. So now, naturally, as any mother would, I think, as someone who doesn't have children, she thinks the only thing to do is to murder every counsellor that goes and works at Camp Crystal Lake. Right? Straightforward stuff. So I won't tell you how the film ends. But it's Jason turns up. Yeah, I did tell you. Jason turns up. You must know that because Jason is the killer in all of the subsequent Friday the 13th films. Which means Mrs. Voorhees isn't. In fact, Scream spoiled this in the first 10 minutes. It was the gag that got Drew Barrymore killed when she was answering questions about Scary Movie. She is asked who the killer is in the Friday the 13th. She says Jason. And the killer says, no, it was actually Mrs. Voorhees in the first movie. So if you've seen Scream, you know this. Mrs. Voorhees gets her head chopped off. I'm just going to spoil them all, I'll be honest. No, I won't. I'm not going to spoil them all. Anyway, so that's the setup. And over the, over the, the next seven or eight movies, Jason returns to carry on his mother's work. 
And as the series progresses, it becomes increasingly obvious that there's a paranormal element at work. Not just because a child who drowned in the 50s, I think, is canon, is murdering people in the 80s, but he dies at the end of every film. Like, the, the teenagers kill him, and he manages to come back. So they always have to try and find more interesting ways to bring him back. Or not. There are some films where he, he may not be the killer. And it's fun. It's stupid. And this was always a very low-rent Halloween knockoff series anyway. It was just a set of stalker movies, right? Slasher movies. Um, it didn't come with like this amazing built-in concept the way that Nightmare on Elm Street did, you know? Anyway, to get back to the list, Jason Goes to Hell, part nine. Uh, there is some wild stuff in it, but there had been the supernatural element in the uh, in the previous films, but this one goes fully science fiction, which is probably fine if you've never seen a Jason movie before. But if you're watching them all in order like this, like I did, this film is really dumb. And it rewrites the mythology that we've come to understand in the same way that Highlander 2 did to Highlander. Where it was like, in Highlander, we're all, uh, the Highlanders were like immortals who had to have their heads chopped from their bodies to die. And the power would pass on to the person who chopped their head off, the other Highlander that killed them. Uh, there can be only one. And the power wasn't really ever explained. They were just immortals who lived in Scotland and America, hence Highlanders. Uh, and in Highlander 2, it was like, nah, fuck all that. They're aliens. They're from a planet called Zeist. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we get Sean Connery back in the film. Because he died in the first Highlander. Spoiler. I hope you've seen The Crying Game, because I'm going to spoil the end of that in a minute as well. <clears throat> Not really. Anyway, so they Highlander 2, Jason, and it doesn't make him more interesting. It doesn't make him more compelling. And where the series had been getting to a point where it was becoming increasingly hard to kill Jason, they established a way that it's really easy to kill Jason. So it's not particularly exciting. They're still watchable. All of these films are watchable. There's goofy fun to be had. But by the time I got to number nine, and I was a firm fan of this franchise. I thought this one was bollocks. And I'll say this. My least favourite Jason film. Uh, nope. My least favourite Jason film is Jason Goes to Hell. In case you weren't paying attention. My least favourite... Fucking... Not Friday the 13th. What is wrong with me? My least favourite Nightmare on Elm Street film. Is Freddy's Dead. The Final Nightmare. Which came out, I would say, a year or two before this. So it was clearly where New Line were at. They just wanted to kill their franchises, apparently. But yeah, that film's bloody awful as well. And that has like a really science... That's the one with the Nintendo Power Glove. Jason Goes to Hell, not worth watching. At 11... At 11. Jason X, otherwise known as Friday the 13th Part 10, I guess. So this is eight years after Jason Goes to Hell, which is the longest gap since 1980 that there had been between any two... Friday the 13th films. So when they sent Jason to hell, they did kill the franchise, which is maybe what they intended to do. And this takes him to space. The thing that is notable about Jason X when we look at it, it's over 20 years since it came out, is you have to bear in mind that when this came out, it was post-Scream, it was post-Matrix, and it was post-Millennium. So there was lots of new metal music. Final Destination was kicking ass but there'd been this big resurgence in teen slasher horror because of scream i know what you did last summer urban legend cherry falls the faculty idle hands right um especially with a slightly tongue-in-cheek fourth wall break wink at the camera meta commentary angle the even bride of chucky uh, had done that around this time as well i think that was the year before this that was very meta as well um, I love Bride of Chucky, by the way. I, maybe I should do a review of those films, because I really like that franchise. So Jason X came out in this environment and takes Jason to space. Hooray! That's what we always wanted. Space 400 years in the future. So it's really, really dumb. It's it's really dumb. And what I said in my letterbox review, feel free to follow me on there. You can find me under Ben Hyten. And my uh, profile picture is Charles Grodin in Midnight Run. This starts off with a premise that if you imagine the salvage crew that find Ripley at the beginning of Aliens after she's been drifting in space for 
was it 57 years or whatever if you imagine instead of finding Ripley they find Jason dead in cryogenic stasis cryosleep yeah and he defrosts on board the uh, whatever that ship was and just starts killing all of the crew like in the first alien then that's what Jason X is but with a scientifically enhanced Jason who turns sort of into a cyborg at the end and there's an artificial person as Bishop would like to be referred to as uh, in Aliens a little Aliens reference for you um, so yeah there's a there's an android and she does a bunch of Trinity style shooting and jumping and kicking at one point it's just a whole bunch of shit it's just loads of shit thrown at the wall I hate the Jason design that he turns into um, at the end of the film when he's been enhanced. I think it looks awful. It looks like a a little um, like a Mattel toy or something, you know. There are a couple of decent kills. Like there's someone who gets their face frozen in liquid nitrogen and their face gets smashed off. That's kind of cool. And someone else gets impaled on a massive drill bit that's pointing upwards, and their body just sort of gradually rotates as the as it moves down the drill. That's kind of a cool shot. And I think the ending justifies the film's existence. There's no justification, really, for Jason Goes to Hell's existence. Jason X has a good enough ending that it could reboot the franchise, and I would be interested in watching where it goes. They didn't follow it up, so it is ultimately redundant, but that's pretty much all there is to recommend it. I think there are a few people out there who really defend Jason X, and I wonder how much of that is nostalgia. Like, maybe it was the first... Jason film they saw in cinema maybe the first Jason film they ever saw and it was probably kind of fun to see with an opening weekend crowd but I thought this film was bollocks when it came out I still think it's bollocks now to be honest but it's not quite as bad as the other one A 10 Friday the 13th part 7 The New Blood uh, so one of the key features of the Friday the 13th films is that they start with a recap of the previous film most of the time couple of films before this have skipped that because there are a clear sort of phases to the Friday the 13th franchise you have I'd say the first three films which is really establishing the character and it's not until part three in fact that Jason gets his hockey mask in the first film he only shows up for one scene in the second film he has a hessian sack over his head then in the third film he gets the hockey mask and, and keeps that for the rest of the franchise then part four was the final chapter introduces a character called tommy jarvis and tommy jarvis returns in part five and part six so that's a nice little three film arc there as well then i guess you've got seven and eight uh which are just the last two in this run and they're just just kind of more of the same but without tommy jarvis then you've got the new line films i would say jason goes to hell jason x and freddy versus jason and then finally the remake so there's these nice sort of distinct periods part seven the new blood just doesn't do anything new or interesting enough after six previous films for it really to to be worth seeing and i think there are a couple of things in it i like there's some good mechanical effects and there's an actress in it who i can't remember what she's actually called but she played the grown-up elizabeth in the original TV series of V. So Elizabeth was like the result of crossbreeding between the aliens and the humans, and she was the, a half-alien child, and she grew at an accelerated rate. So she was a teenager by the time she was like four or five or something like that. So the the actress who played that version of Elizabeth in V is in this as a kind of psychic. And I think she had psychic powers in V as well, so I wonder if that's why she was cast. It was nice to see her. I looked her up. This is the last film she ever did. She retired from acting after that. I didn't think she was that bad. And also the guy that plays Bernie in Weekend at Bernie's is in this as her psychiatrist. So it took me about 30 seconds to figure out who he was because he doesn't have the moustache. But once it clicked that he was in Weekend at Bernie's, I was like, oh, he actually is Bernie Lomax. That, that, that's, that's about it. There's this, yeah, again, there's this psychic connection between this one character and Jason, and he gets sort of new powers because he was when he was killed at the end of part six, he ended up at the bottom of Camp Crystal Lake, and his resurrection in this gives him the ability to move through water really fast. It doesn't return in the other films, and in fact, in a later film, 
I think, Freddy versus Jason, water is his weakness. So it's definitely not canon, or or not canon that they stuck to. Anyway, it's just not a particularly interesting film, part seven. So I think you can skip that one, and you won't really have missed anything. But I will say that the resurrected Jason with a chain around his neck, kind of Solomon Grundy rising from the grave kind of thing, is a really cool design. So I'll give it points for that. At At ten! No? No, that was ten. At nine! Friday the 13th Part 3, a.k.a. the 3D one. It is, at that point, it is just a remake of the first two films. Just some new kids go to Camp Crystal Lake. Things get thrust at the camera every five minutes for no real reason whatsoever. And I'm not even talking about machetes and stuff. It's like, there's a bit where a guy's sweeping the road or something. And the broom handle comes at the camera while he's doing it. Just to give you some 3D thrills. The 3D's rubbish. And yeah, other than that. I mean, it introduces the mask. Just because one of the kids that turns up at Camp Crystal Lake this time has a hockey mask with him. So when that kid gets killed, Jason eyes up the mask and puts it on. And iconic history is made. Steve Miner, who directed House, and I think House 2, that I mentioned before directed this one so he's made a bit of an appearance on my most watched directors list on letterboxd this year which i wasn't expecting yeah there's a bit more comedy in this one yeah a couple of good kills but nothing really memorable nothing as powerful as the ending of the first film or as much fun as the second film that's why it's this low on the list at eight eight, eight, eight. freddy versus jason now this is where i think from this point on these are all really worth watching Freddy vs. Jason is directed by Ronnie Yu, who did Bride of Chucky that I mentioned a minute ago. He did a really good job on that, uh, sort of combining action and horror and comedy and never sacrificing like the shocking violence, but giving you a sense of glee in it. It's a very specific kind of horror, that. Child's Play, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, they all got into self-parody fairly quickly. There was always a comedic element to these after the first one or two films. So Ronnie Yu is a good choice actually for this because he gets to play in the Friday the 13th world and the Nightmare on Elm Street world. He does a pretty good job of both. I think it's definitely more of a Friday the 13th film in the first half. Record scratch. Uh, I meant to say Nightmare on Elm Street and I said Friday the 13th again. It doesn't make any sense as you're about to hear. I meant Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, End of record scratch. Um, and more of a Jason film in the second half. And then there's Big Royal Rumble where they fight each other. But the idea is is quite neat. And it's Jason was sent to hell. And Freddy vs. Jason respects that. It doesn't really mention Jason X because it could argue that that hasn't happened yet. But it starts with Freddy no longer having any power because no one believes in him anymore. So he can't kill anyone in the real world. Even if he haunts their nightmares. So he needs someone to do the killing for him so that it will then get attributed to him. So in the prologue, it's sort of suggested that Freddy trolls hell, finds Jason and resurrects him, then sends him to Elm Street to start killing... This isn't suggested, this is the actual plot of the film. Sends him to Elm Street to start killing again and obviously everyone will start saying Freddy's back and his power starts to grow. So that he starts appearing in people's nightmares again and eventually gets enough power where he can start killing again. That's a really good concept, I think, for a crossover film like this. And I'm very trepidatious around these kind of crossovers. I don't think they tend to work. And So I'd say Freddy vs. Jason is actually one of the best of those crossovers in that it respects the history of both characters much more than the previous couple of Jason films had anyway. It gives them a reason to come together gives them a reason to fight one another and delivers on all of that and there's one set piece in particular actually when there's a bunch of kids partying in a cornfield and Jason is set on fire he starts killing them and he's set on fire and he carries on killing this group of teens partying while his entire body is on fire that is a classic set piece and if i was counting down like the top 10 jason set pieces that would be in there for sure and there's a couple of moments in the smackdowns between 
Freddy versus Jason, which is kind of the last 20, 30 minutes of the film, but are fun too. Uh, I don't think it's an amazing film, and it's it's not one of the best films in either franchise. It's just good enough to be countered in both of them, though. Uh, and I think that there is fun to be had. Kelly Rowlands is in it, if that's important to you. So yeah, I, Freddy vs. Jason, I'd seen it before, and I have to say I enjoyed it more this time. And I think a big part of that is Ronnie Yu knows what he's doing. At seven. 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 Friday the 13th, part eight. Jason Takes Manhattan. Now, this has got a really low score on like IMDb and places like that. Lower score than The New Blood, which was part seven, the film before this. I think this is a much better film. It gets the, it gets the characters away from Crystal Lake, which they don't do nearly enough. As the title suggests, Jason is going to Manhattan. Um, and, the, and there's lots of killings on boats and stuff like that. It's a different environment for us to, to see him in. It's a well-made film. It's nicely shot. There's some ambitious sort of dynamic camera angle stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, it does it does pretty much what, what what most of these films did. But if you take it side by side with the first film, I think this is better. It's more entertaining over the course of, of 90 minutes. And let me just say this. Almost all of these films are 90 minutes or less. Yeah, between 85 and 95 minutes. The only one that goes over an hour 40 is the remake. This is probably one of the longer ones. I think it's about 96 minutes long or whatever. But um, yeah, it, it's as a horror film, I find it more consistently entertaining than the first Friday the 13th film. What it doesn't have is the big shock moment that that film has, which is why the first Friday the 13th has any sort of classic status whatsoever. And in case you missed me saying it earlier, let me just spoil it for you. The killer was Mrs. Voorhees, and then when she's killed, Jason comes out of the lake and grabs one of the survivors. It's the final. So, oh my God, Jason's alive. What the hell? Yeah, it's really good. Anyway, so uh, yes, Jason Takes Manhattan is, does not have a moment as good as that. And then, yeah, it, it's 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 nothing special. It's very solidly watchable, and I think that is the baseline for these kind of films. Are the production values good enough? Are there entertaining kills? Is it is it watchable? Is it is it entertaining enough to keep your attention? This is much more than the last ones that I talked about, with the exception maybe of Freddy vs. Jason. But as a pure Jason movie, I thought this was absolutely fine. I summed it up by saying it's comfortably dumb. I just giving you some room there to applaud. At six, At six. Friday the Thirteenth, and I think I've said most of the reasons uh, that it's not my favourite Friday the Thirteenth film. I think it's, for the most part, certainly for the first hour, it's very much just a late seventies, early eighties slasher movie. There's nothing special about it at all, and I'd say there are other films that came out post Halloween that are more entertaining than this, that don't have as high a profile. Something like Sleepaway Camp. Sleepaway Camp is basically the same setup. You know, a bunch of horny teens at summer camp, just getting naked, doing things they shouldn't be doing, drinking, smoking, all of that stuff. You know what they're like. <laughs> you, can't, you can't turn your back on them for a minute, I tell you. Uh, I wouldn't let my kids go. Um, I don't have any kids. But Sleepaway Camp is like not as it's not as well made as Friday the Thirteenth, and that's part of its charm. It's very very funny, and it has uh, it has a couple of great lines in it, like "Eat shit and die." Hey man, eat shit. Eat, I'm not even going to say it. Bollocks. It, but it does have some great lines in it, um, uh, and some really funny moments. And it's got a wackadoo ending, absolutely bonkers final ten minutes. So I think Sleepaway Camp is far more entertaining and far more deserving of its having a franchise. Not that I've seen any of the sequels. I'll just make a note to get the Sleepaway Camp box set. That's next on the list. So Friday the 13th is... It's actually a bit boring in the middle, but those last 20 minutes or so are great. And what they do is they set up for a second film to then take the reins and do something more interesting than the first film did. And for my money, that's what happened. If you're paying attention, we haven't got to Friday the 13th Part 2 yet. So the things that Friday the 13th got right, really solid, is sort of establishing of a law. I don't think they necessarily expected there to be 
a sequel even, let alone, you know, a 12 movie franchise. But the ending is ambiguous enough that you could say they were leaving it open. So it's quite nicely shot. Harry Manfredini, if you don't know the name and if you've never seen these films, you almost definitely heard someone parody his music because he basically ripped off the Psycho score or any sort of Bernard Herrmann Hitchcock score and added... over the top and that's the classic oh jason's coming sound um that was established right from the beginning here the score other than that is sub bernard herman stuff and then you there you've got that fantastic final sort of five ten minutes the last 20 minutes are really where it picks up and starts to go crazy so it's fine but i think there are more entertaining horror films are certainly more entertaining films that spawn franchises and as a result this is only my sixth favorite friday the 13th movie at five <laughs> at five my fifth favorite friday the 13th movie is the friday the 13th remake from 2009 it's a really really good horror movie uh it's a solidly a half star better than the original friday the 13th just as a horror movie it's got a fantastic opening 20-25 minute prologue which is basically catching up with where we were by the end of Friday the 13th 2 but it's also not set in 1980 or 1981 when those films came out it's set in 2009 and it doesn't over explain anything so much it doesn't retread the events of the first film exactly in the way that you'd expect a remake to do like the Psycho remake, for instance, that it closes the door on this being simply a sequel. Like some time has passed since, let's say, Freddy vs. Jason. And none of that stuff is written out of, of the canon at all. So it works as, as an introduction to the character. It works as a remake, you know, kind of. Let's just do a new beginning. Although it's not called a new beginning because there was already... Never mind, I'll come back to that. It, 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 honestly, it could take place after Friday the 13th Part 2. It could take place after Jason Lives, which was Part 6. Or it could take place after Jason X. Without spoiling the ending of that, there is a way that you could link those two together with a simple bit of filling in the gaps. So I really like the setup of this film. The first 20-25 minutes are, are brilliant. A really good, sustained set piece. And then after the credits, that's all pre-credits, you basically get a full-length jason movie there like another 80 minute movie so this is i think an hour 45 an hour 50 it's, it's easily the longest film in the franchise and it, it suffers a little bit though it runs a little slow in in the second act but it's probably the goriest film in the franchise definitely the boobiest film in the franchise there are a lot of boobs in these films and apparently michael bay because he was a producer on this his platinum dunes um sort of mini studio who who did all of the horror remakes around this time apparently in one of the preview screenings or the premiere michael bay got up and walked out because he said it had too much sex in it you wouldn't think michael bay would be approved would you i'm just thinking about some of the awful things he's put in his films as well and this was too much for him so yeah lots of boobs lots of blood but yeah it's it's actually one of the things that this does that a lot of the films in this franchise don't achieve doesn't achieve don't achieve it does something that a lot of the films in the franchise don't achieve. I'm really struggling with that sentence. And that's actually making it genuinely upsetting and intense when Jason is going around killing people. There are moments in this that are sustained and drawn out and genuinely uncomfortable, like genuinely horrific. It's a proper horror movie, and it's really good. And I think if fans of this franchise turn their nose up at this that's just that's straight up snobbery this is a good film it's a good jason film it's well made there's a little bit too much shaky cam and things like that but it's a really really satisfying saturday night slasher movie i think if you like the evil dead remake for instance then you would appreciate marcus nispel's friday the 13th at five friday the 13th part five a new beginning this is the middle film in the tommy jarvis uh, sort of mini arc of four five and six not my favorite obviously but very enjoyable i hadn't seen this one before uh it's the I think it's the first time where we actually don't get a recap in the prologue up to this point so it really is a new beginning 
And what they had to do basically was reboot the well, find a way to re reinvigorate the franchise because obviously part four was called the final chapter. I think they figured we've spun this out for four films, about as many as we can do. So they sort of closed it off. Jason dies, obviously, at the end of, of part four. And Tommy Jarvis is maybe going to be the new Jason. So this film runs with that. I think what happened is part four was probably really well reviewed compared to the other films and really successful. So like, well, we've got to make it a fifth one. So this catches up. This is where the timeline starts to go funny because this catches up with Tommy Jarvis easily 10 years after the Friday the 13th part four. But I think only one or two years after that film was made. They knocked these out pretty much a film a year to begin with. It would be interesting to try and work out what the canonical timeline of these movies is because by the end of this one, we should easily be into the 1990s if the first film actually took place in 1980. Tommy Jarvis has grown up. He's traumatized by the events of part four. He thinks about Jason all the time. He's having nightmares about him. And he goes to a halfway house for mentally disturbed teenagers, whether they're criminals or not. Uh, he's got out of psychiatric care. He goes into this half halfway house. And wouldn't you know it, people start dying. Is Jason back? Is Tommy doing it? Has Tommy become the new Jason? Well, I'm actually not going to spoil it for you because this film is really good fun. Miguel Nunes, who is a very recognisable face. I recently saw him in Return of the Living Dead, which is another 80s horror film that I'd never seen, which is really, really good fun. But there's, there's, a, there's way more characters in this than there have been to date, which means there's way more kills, we're hardly introduced to the characters before they start getting killed, which is excellent. It's really well shot. There's some genuine laughs. There's a character called Ethel, who's really good. Um, I'd say the other until we get to the remake, this is the boobiest in the series. So just loads of boobs, loads of blood, loads of killing. Yeah, it's just fun. I could understand if someone said this was my, this was their favourite in the franchise. Really zips along. And there's a pretty decent twist at the end as well, I thought. All right. As Rod Stewart would say, getting down to the big boys now. So, sorry, that was number four. It's the fifth film, but it was four on my ranking. At three, Friday the 13th, part two. The reason this is so high is I didn't expect it to be any good because everyone just talks about it, how it's from the the phase in the franchise where we hadn't really got up and running with Jason in the mask yet. This is the one where he has like a cloth hessian sack over his head, like a scarecrow. Actually, a lot like Killian Murphy's scarecrow in um, Christopher Nolan Batman films. It, but it picks up exactly where Friday the 13th Part 1 ended with the surviving characters and introduces a new cast as well. Jason is firmly the killer from the beginning in this one. We know that he came back at the end of the first one, so he's, he's out and about killing in this one. But it's just superior in every single way. It's tighter paced. It's better made. There's a larger cast who are all incredibly sexy. Um, This film came out the year I was born. And I think there is an argument to be made that hotness peaked in 1981 on the strength of this film. The kills are more inventive. Jump scares are better. Totally respects what's come before. It deepens the mythology at the same time. There's all the stuff that these films always have, which is like character motivations are ridiculous and decisions that they make will have you going, why? Why are you doing that? You're definitely going to die now. And you're right. But to me, this could be the prototypical sexy teens in danger at a cabin in the woods movie. And totally regardless of how fully formed the Jason character is at this point, this is just a very efficient and enjoyable 85 minute horror movie. You could watch this, I think, as pretty much as a standalone film because it catches you up at the beginning. It's got a great scene that is referenced several times in in the later films where the new inductees at at Camp Blood, Camp Crystal Lake, the new councils all sit around a fire and someone tells the story of Jason. And it's used in later films as part of the recaps. It's a great scene. It's so typically 80s horror and it's, it's fantastic. I really enjoyed it. At two. At two. Now, I thought this would be my favourite because I'd seen it before and I loved it. Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter. This is the one with Crispin Glover 
as a dead fuck, and little Corey Feldman from the Goonies and Gremlins and all that sort of stuff. The same year that Gremlins came out, in fact. So this is before Back to the Future, before Chris McGlover had done George McFly. But Corey Feldman, who was like nine or ten, if that, was doing this and Gremlins at the same time. So he was genuinely Macaulay Culkin before Macaulay Culkin was Macaulay Culkin. Which is a really difficult sentence to say. He's young Tommy Jarvis. And he he ends up in a house with all of these teenagers as Jason comes and knock in. And I'm not going to spoil anything about this film because it's, it's mad and wonderful. At this point in the series, it's easily the best made of, the, of these first four films. It's really well shot. It's quite funny. Joseph Zito directed this one, by the way. Harry Manfredini's score, which has been used in all of these films, is probably at its peak in this one. It's aggressive and it's on point and it's kind of over the top. The balance between the humor and the violence is spot on. They've they've sort of been at odds in in part three, where the where the comedy really came in. It's really nicely balanced in this. Um, it's just a really well made film. For me, it's proof of how a genre film can hit all of the expected marks that you expect. That's how expected marks work. You expect them. It has memorable lines and memorable characters and memorable gore gags, uh, and it's still sticking to everything that has been established in the franchise and expanding it at the same time and it still comes in at 90 minutes i love that these films are 90 minutes long all films should be 90 minutes long and the and the climax is great it's it's genuinely tense it's really exciting it's a little bit bonkers it's it's everything that i want from a film like this so going in i thought this would be my number one pick Rewatching it i thought yeah this is probably still going to be my number one pick but then along came my number, my number one, one, one Friday the 13th, 13th film. Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives. The only other franchise I can think where part six was my favorite is Fast and Furious. Yeah, yeah, I know. Most people say part five. Some people say part seven because they're idiots. Some people say the first one, I imagine. They're wrong. <clears throat> um, this, was my, this was my favorite. Now... This was the first Friday the 13th film that I ever saw. This is the one that I saw on late night TV in the 90s. And at the time, again, I think I was still under the impression that these these sort of verboten horror franchises that us kids weren't allowed to see, like the Nightmares, the Fridays, the Chuckies, the Halloweens, that they were somehow going to be really like genuinely horrifying and terrifying. And most of these films aren't. And I watched this... And I wasn't that impressed by it. I, I didn't find it scary. And it also, uh, I think if I was staying up late night on a Friday night watching an 18 certificate movie, I was probably hoping to see some boobies. I don't think I saw any in this one. I think all the girls keep their tops on. There's a naked man at one point. Who wants to see a naked man? Um, lots of people. I understand lots of people want to see a naked man. I don't mind seeing them. But I didn't. That my, the point is, I don't want to see one that night. This is really not that important as to why I like Jason Lives. The other thing is that it was probably edited for TV at that time, so uh, probably a lot of the gore and all that sort of stuff had been toned down. So it was weird because I remembered certain scenes from this film. I remembered elements of the climax that involves a boat out on a lake. I remembered a kill where there's a puddle and. A big spiky thing, and Jason's spiky things someone into a puddle. So it was really weird watching it again because I expected this to be one of the boring ones from my memory from twenty odd years ago, and I loved it. This is so much fun. It it gets straight to the business of killing teens in surprisingly imaginative ways, considering this is the sixth film in the franchise. It's not quite as bloody as part five, and it's certainly not got the boob count, but there's there's genuine wit. This is the, the final part of the Tommy Jarvis saga, so we get what's going on with Tommy Jarvis after after the first two films we've seen him. Third actor to play him as well. What's different about this is it's got a writer-director, so it's got a vision. Tom McLaughlin was the writer-director, and he seems to understand that by this point, the running narrative of the franchise is ridiculous. So let's not try and pretend otherwise. Let's just run with it and get straight to serving up the set pieces. And he does. Jason is fully supernatural and unkillable now. 
so there's lots of like little fun moments that he has with that that hasn't really been established up to this point even though jason keeps coming back there is humor in it uh, there's also he throws in a car chase at one point and there's some explosions and stuff and that stuff is really well shot there's some genuinely iconic shots in this of like jason stood on a burning like camper van in the rain um and it's sort of the first film that gets, starts to become a little bit flashy like very very glossy we're heading into that mtv period of, of filmmaking um so there's some gruesome kills there's a handful of like really good shots and as a closer to the t- t- tommy jarvis saga if you want to call it that by no means nuanced but it added something it genuinely added something to the franchise tommy and jason is a really cool um like advers- adversarial pairing this is probably just about tied with part four but i think this has more memorable kills in it so i bumped it up and it was a surprise because i expected it to be a crap one and then just to push it that extra little bit over the top at the end there's a song written for this film all about jason and it's performed by alice cooper and it absolutely slaps and that plays over the end credits so boom that's it that's my number one Friday the 13th movie. Feel free to come at me and tell me why I'm wrong. But to recap, from bottom to top, my Friday the 13th ranking goes at 12. 12. Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. At 11, 11. Jason X. At 10, 10, 10, Part 7, The New Blood. At 9, nine. Part 3, Now in 3D. At 8, at eight. Freddy vs. Jason. At 7, seven. seven. Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. At 6, six. six. The original Friday the 13th. At five, 5. The remake of Friday the 13th. At 4. four. Part 5. A New Beginning. At three, 3. Part 2. At 2. At two. Part 4. The Final Chapter. And at one, 1. Part 6. Jason Lives. And like I said before, I'd say everything from Freddy vs. Jason up. Solidly entertaining horror movies. Chris Stuckman um, reviewed Jason X recently. And he made a good point, which was that... There probably isn't a single film in the franchise that's a f- like, that is a genuine classic in the genre. So even my favourites in there, they come with so much baggage because you kind of have to be caught up. If you're going to watch films from the middle of a franchise, you have to understand where they're coming from. And even with the recaps in these, yeah, you're, you're missing what makes those films special if you haven't seen the films that come before them. Whereas like with Halloween, the best Halloween movie is the first one. With Nightmare on Elm Street, the best Nightmare on Elm Street film is the first one. The best Exorcist is the first one. Chucky, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's a few in there I like. There isn't necessarily a classic film in the Friday the 13th franchise. That's what Chris Stuckman said, and he's right. So I think like where the bottom films in this franchise are like one and a half, two stars. Even the top ones are only four stars, okay, in my opinion. Some people would say even less like the middle of the road. They're serviceable. They're entertaining films. And this is an action horror franchise more than it is a slasher franchise most of the time. So what's interesting to me is we're now 13 years since we saw Jason in Any Guys. That was when the the Marcus Nispel remake came out. There are 12 films in the franchise so far. Why not do one more? The Friday the 13th. The 13th Friday. And make it an absolute banger. Like, just just absolutely destroy. Do something really interesting. I, I realise that's so easy to say. Yeah, just make it a classic. Just uh, make a really good film. Could you make a good film? Could you make it the best film in the franchise? Could you make it, in fact, before we do any more writing, could you make it as good as some of the best horror films of the last 45 years? That's all I'm asking. So that is my challenge to you, mythologists and fans of the Friday the 13th franchise. Find a way to make the 13th Friday the 13th movie. And find a way to make it the number one Friday the 13th movie in our hearts and at the box office of all time. Three billion dollars is all it needs to make. That was... The Friday the 13th slash Jason Voorhees retrospective. Uh, I'm keeping going watching horror films uh, all of this month. So if you do want to follow me on uh, Letterboxd, I'm doing a list called Shocktober. Um, I'm trying to average out one horror movie for every day that there is in October. It doesn't mean I'll watch one every day, but some days I'll watch two. 
So I've recently rewatched uh, The Invisible Man that we've talked about on here. If you want to hear my thoughts on that, go and find mine and Alex's discussion of Lee Winnell's Invisible Man. Also, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula has just had a 4K re-release. I watched that again and loved it. And we've also done an episode on that when we were doing the uh, the Keanu Copia. So go and have a listen to our episodes on that. And on Letterboxd, I've, I just watched uh, Street Trash. I'd never seen that before. Really enjoyed it. Night of the Demon, which is a Sasquatch movie that was made for about £37. Um, which is rubbish. But again, I really enjoyed it. But while there are still a few weeks left in October, why not send me recommendations to theanthology at gmail.com. The weirder, certainly the more obscure, the better, as long as I can get my hands on it. So if you want to tell me, if you give me a recommendation, if you want to tell me where I can get my hands on it, whether it's got a current Blu-ray release or or higher, 4K would be nice. Um, or if it's on, you know, Plex or Prime, or Disney Plus, or, you know, wherever it can be found. So, yeah, please, please do send me recommendations. I can't list, obviously, all the horror films that I've seen, and I've seen a few. Uh, I saw Smile recently as well. I thought it was just fine. I didn't think it was that amazing. Three stars. Yeah, please, theanthology at gmail.com. Send me your horror film recommendations. Oh, send me your um, Friday the 13th rankings as well, or or send me a link if you've got a letterbox list. Send me a link to your um, list because it's been quite interesting chatting about it on Twitter and, and on Letterboxd and things like that. People share their rankings and, and no one like really gets into an argument about it. I think the horror community is too good for that. They'll prove me wrong. But they are a nice bunch normally, the horror the horror movie community. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see what films end up at the bottom and what films end up at the top. And it's normally the same films end up in the middle. But like I say, some people will put Jason X right near the top, or as I put it, right near the bottom. That kind of stuff. So if you're particularly fond of the Friday the 13th movies, send me your list. That's it for now. I'll definitely be back at the end of the year with a little review of 2022. I might do another episode at the end of October talking about the other uh, films that I've watched. And at some point, I'll probably have to tell you my thoughts on Top Gun Maverick, which obviously I've seen a couple of times over the summer. But I won't tell you about that just now. Do stay in touch. Do obviously look after yourself. Don't vote for the Tories. (laughs) And um, yeah, I'll speak to you soon.